Hello, and welcome to Gone But Not Forgotten, the podcast all about remembering the lives and careers of actors who left us too soon. I'm your host, Audrey Cornell, and today I will be talking about River Phoenix. River Jude Bottom was born on August 23, 1970, to Arlen and John Bottom in Madras, Oregon, on a peppermint farm. Arlen said that her inspiration for naming the baby River was from a passage from the book Siddhartha. She said, It talks about the river being an answer to life's many questions. As looking into it, you can see the reflection of everything. He got his middle name from the Beatles song, Hey Jude, and was a fan of the band his entire life. The Bottoms moved around the United States constantly before joining a cult called Children of God in 1972. They moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado to spread the messages of the cult, which preached anti-establishment and free love. Their first daughter, Rain, was born in late 1972. The Bottoms relocated once again to Puerto Rico, where Joaquin was born in 1974. River quickly became fluent in Spanish, though never had any formal education growing up. The Bottoms were sent to Caracas, Venezuela to serve as missionaries for the Children of God. A large part of the group's belief system was free love and experimenting sexually, even for extremely young children. River was raped at the age of four by an adult man, an event that he didn't think much of at the time, but later grew extremely affected by. River and Rain were forced to sing in the streets to collect money, as there was no steady income for the family, and they were constantly at the risk of starvation. River quickly picked up how to play guitar around the age of five, starting his lifelong love for music. Rain later said that he started writing original songs as young as five or six years old. The two would play at hospitals, airports, hotels, and prisons all day long. River remembered, A lot of people would gather around and listen to us. It was really a novelty. We had a whole act together. I'd be strumming on a guitar that was taller than I was at about 100 miles per hour. I knew about five chords. That was where I learned to give a lot of joy and happiness from singing. The Bottoms' fourth child, Liberty, was born in 1976. This was also around the time when flirty fishing became a major part of the cult's practices. Women would seduce and sleep with men to get them to join the cult. It ended up bringing in thousands of new members, but came to an end around the time when AIDS was spreading across the globe. The Bottoms left on a cargo ship for the United States in 1978. On this trip, River saw some fish being caught and killed, which led to his decision to become vegan from then on. The Bottoms arrived in Orlando, Florida, and changed their surname to Phoenix. River attended school for a short while upon his grandmother's insistence, but struggled to connect with his classmates, who would make fun of his name and lack of knowledge. The last Phoenix child, Summer, was born in 1978. Joaquin felt left out of the more earthly names that his siblings had and decided to change his name to Leaf which he went by for several years. Arlen had been friends with actor Penny Marshall when living in the Bronx as a child and wrote her a letter about how she wanted her kids to get into show business. The letter made its way to Paramount Studios, who said they would see the Phoenix children audition. So the family packed their bags and moved to Orange County. The Phoenixes could hardly make rent, so the kids were once again tasked with busking on the streets to earn a living. Arlen set up an audition for talent agent Iris Burton, who took them on and got River booked for his first role as the youngest brother in the CBS series Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. He impressed casting directors with an Elvis Presley impression. Burton even said that River was the most beautiful child you'd ever seen, like a little Elvis. River had a hard time fitting in on the set of the show, especially since special work had to go into finding his costumes, since he would not wear leather and he was so much younger than the other actors. Fellow cast member Terry Trias said he did not have the social skills to know how to be with other boys. So River spent most of his downtime playing guitar. 
The show only ran for one season, but River had already begun to receive fan mail. He was also the sole breadwinner for his family at the mere age of 12. River booked several parts on made-for-TV movies, including Backwards, The Riddle of Dyslexia, who was later discovered to have been dyslexic, Robert Kennedy and His Times, and Surviving, A Family in Crisis. In retrospect, it's disturbing to know that the two youngest actors in the film Surviving, River and Heather O'Rourke, would both be dead in less than a decade. And it's even more creepy that River's character attempts to overdose by swallowing sleeping pills. Iris Burton booked him for the 1985 film Explorers, which marked both his and Ethan Hawke's silver screen debuts. River was excited to be in the film, but director Joe Dante said playing the part of the geek was hard for him. He did not enjoy watching himself in that part. I think he saw a lot of things about himself that he wished he didn't have. There were a lot of childish things that he was trying to change. The film centers around three young boys who attempt to build a spaceship and contact extraterrestrial life. River got along well with his co-stars, and Dante encouraged the kids to improvise. River struggled to understand pop culture references, jokes, and other things that his castmates took for granted. He was still very bright, just in other ways. River was a, a serious young artist even at 14. He already knew more than I did. He'd done it before. and Like, we're doing this movie about kids building their own spaceship, and he's trying to talk about what's in his character's pockets. And I, you kind of knew right away that he was special. Unfortunately, Explorers was a flop and bombed at the box office, but put River on the map. His next film began shooting in 1984, based on the Stephen King short story, The Body. It was about a group of friends in the mid-1950s who go on a quest to find a dead body. The name of the film was later changed to Stand By Me, as the producer thought the original sounded like a sexual workout film or a flat-out horror. Director Rob Reiner said River was like a young James Dean, a comparison that popped up often throughout his career. The cast was encouraged to spend a lot of time together and bond, so they went to the movies, did acting exercises, and went on many vacations. During the filming of the movie was the first time River tried marijuana with co-star Corey Feldman. That summer, River lost his so-called second virginity in the backyard of his house inside a tent set up by his parents with a close family friend. Of the experience, he said, I got through that, thank God. In a later interview, River said he was celibate from ages 10 to 14, which means he had some sort of sexual experiences throughout his childhood. At least three of those years were when his family had already left the Children of God cult, so it's only up for speculation what happened to him during that period. River wasn't completely happy with his performance in Stand By Me, saying, I didn't think my work was up to my own standards. I was going through puberty, and I was hurting real bad. It's not easy watching yourself so vulnerable. Co-star Will Wheaton later said, he was just this raw, emotional, open wound all the time. He felt everything, and it's what made him such a wonderful, wonderful actor. I'm sure she had her eye on that skirt for a long time. Anyway, she saw her chance and she took it. I was the stupid one for even trying to give it back. I just never thought, I never thought the teacher would oh, be so fuck anyway. quite a bit of money from Stand By Me, so Arlen hired a man named Larry McHale to serve as River's assistant and companion. He was also the one to introduce River to cocaine at the age of 15. River's next film was The Mosquito Coast, alongside Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. He went with his father to Belize to shoot the picture. 
The movie mirrored some of River's own upbringing, centering around an adventure father who relocates his family to the middle of the jungle to start a new civilization. The shoot was difficult and hard to get through, but ended up proving to be a rewarding experience for River. He started a relationship with his co-star, Martha Plimpton, and grew close with Harrison Ford. Ford was very impressed by how professional and talented River already was at such a young age. Director Peter Weir said, River Phoenix was born to movies. He has the look of someone who has secrets. Dad wouldn't understand. Don't tell Dad or anyone about Acre, because it's our secret. No one else can know. The movie opened to middling reviews, but River was proud of his performance. He later said it was one of his best. Things had been tense between him and his father while filming, and River felt a huge responsibility to his family since he was keeping them afloat. Weir commented that, with a young person who suddenly becomes the key breadwinner of the family, there's an incredible amount of rearranging things in the family hierarchy. After Stand By Me came out that summer, River became a sensation and teen heartthrob, a position he did not like to be put in. He said, It's like there's a grandstand full of girls who think I'm the greatest without knowing anything about me personally. It makes me very nervous. It's as if everybody's getting all worked up over an image they don't know anything about. I mean, don't they know I'm an actor? River rented a ranch outside San Diego where he, his family, and Martha Plimpton stayed for a while. He started working on his next film, A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon, which he was hoping would be a departure from his teeny bopper status and be more adult. Perhaps a little too adult, as the majority of the film has River engaging in sex scenes, some with a much older actress. It's funny when you think about it. The odd things that bring people together after a long time in a way that seems all of a sudden. That man on my left, who was mourning the death of his car, was a total stranger to me less than 36 hours ago, even though I'd lived with him since the day I was born. After the movie came out, River was embarrassed by it and claimed he mostly just did it for the money, but he forged lifelong relationships with director and Ioni Sky, and he also wrote a song for the film. Unfortunately, it didn't make it into the final product, but was later put in the director's cut. River got the chance to play some of his songs for Kim Bowie, who worked at Island Records. She was impressed by his abilities. She signed him on to a development deal, which she said was a step past a demo deal. You help somebody and give them some time and resources to be able to put a little more time into their music and figure out what they want to do. In early 1987, River started filming his next project, Little Nikita, which was known as The Sleepers at that point, about a teenager who finds out that his parents used to be Russian spies. It was screen icon Sidney Poitier's return to cinema after taking a break for several years, and he and River developed a close friendship. River often sought out a father figure when making his films, and Poitier proved to be a good mentor for him. River studied Poitier's performance and learned a lot from him. In return, he said, River Phoenix is one of our finest young actors and destined to leave an indelible imprint on American films. Stay around the house. Watch them. Spy my parents. You gotta be kidding me. You want me to help you put him away. Never. Look, Mr. FBI man, if you're so sure and if you're so right, then why don't you arrest him? Director Richard Benjamin wouldn't allow River to watch his rushes, so he couldn't critique his performance. He said, I felt so out of place with my acting. I just fell off. And maybe it's good because the guy's supposed to be insecure and confused. In a later interview, Rivers seemed to have changed his mind about the situation. In Nikita, it was appropriate because uh, Jeff is supposed to be completely disillusioned with his whole life, completely torn in between this and that, and 
the rug basically has been pulled out from under him, and and that's kind of the feeling I get when I don't see rushes. And I had spoke to uh, Richard beforehand about that, and it was he let me see two scenes in rushes, and uh, that was fine. I was uh, very um, you know happy because it was appropriate for the role. The Phoenixes relocated to Los Angeles when the lease on their ranch in San Diego expired, moving into an abandoned school for $1,500 a month. Rivers started making friends with artsy types, hanging out at Frank Zappa's house and jamming with his kids. For his next movie, Running on Empty, River got to work with legendary director Sidney Lumet, whom he greatly admired. He played Danny Pope, a teenager who has to move often and change his identity since his parents are on the run from the law. Hi. Can I help? No, no, it's okay. Thank you. You cut your finger. Yeah. Is this your girlfriend? Hi, I'm Steven. River learned piano for the role, but was dubbed over by pianist Gar Burke. Still, that was River playing the piano in the film and matching with the overdub. Lumet said, so long as River follows his instincts, takes stuff he believes in, there will be no stopping him. He still has a long way to go. He has to make the transition from kid actor to grown-up, but he has such intelligence and such a good heart, I don't have any doubt he'll do it. When talking about his experience with Lumet, River commented, He is um, spontaneous in his directing and, and calls for um, that in, in the acting, you know, and, and there's not a lot of repetitive stuff, a lot of takes. I mean, it's... Uh, very organic, I feel, and, and uh, what's the word? I candid. I think, you know, the, pretty early on, I mean, you don't get to four takes with Sydney, which is really nice, and uh, most of them are two, one, and uh, he's really, uh, really, really good. River also enjoyed working with established actors Christine Lottie and Judd Hirsch and learned a lot from their performances as well. The cast created a natural and realistic chemistry with each other and became close off screen. River got to work with his girlfriend Martha Plimpton on the film, and the relationship grew on set. He was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance, but lost to future co-star Kevin Klein for A Fish Called Wanda. River didn't care. He was too excited for Klein's win. I was so relieved and so happy he won. I just, like, jumped out of the chair. I had I'd just, like, met him. Uh, that was around the time we were starting the rehearsals and stuff, so it was kind of interesting. It was fun. The Phoenixes relocated to a ranch outside Gainesville, Florida in 1987, which was paid for with River's money. Throughout their time living there, dozens of lost souls would stay, and River would support all of them, as well as his family. Friend Bobby Bukowski said, In River's mind, he was their father, and he had some anger about that. However, River enjoyed living in Florida and found that he could be more anonymous and free-spirited than in Los Angeles. River formed his band in 1987 along with his sister Rain, drummer Josh Greenbaum, who moved in with the Phoenixes for a while and became like another sibling, guitarist Josh McKay, and viola player Tim Hankins. They practiced in the guesthouse that River had christened Alica's Attic, which later became the name of the band. When Martha Plimpton came to visit the Phoenixes in Florida, she noticed that the relationship between River and his parents had become even more strained. River had begun drinking alcohol, a habit he had picked up from his father which worried Plimpton. We had five million talks about his compulsive personality and his guilt and fear over not being able to save his father. River and his father were always having breakthrough conversations where River would tell his father his feelings about alcohol, about their roles, but the next day, nothing would change. 
River also started dabbling with cocaine and marijuana, which were not hard to find in Gainesville. He did another film with Harrison Ford, despite not having any scenes with him, in which he played a young Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. That cross is an important artifact. It belongs in a museum. Run back and find the others. Tell Mr. Havelock that there are men living in the caves. Have him bring the sheriff. It's only a snake. Did you hear what I said? Right. Run back. Mr. Havelock, the sheriff. What, what are you going to do? Think of something. I would just look at Harrison. He would do stuff, and I would not mimic it, but interpret it younger. Mimicking is a terrible mistake that many people make when they play someone younger or with an age difference. Mimicking doesn't interpret true. He did many of his own stunts, saying that it would be phony to have someone else do them. His character inspired the spin-off television show about a young Indiana Jones, but River declined when the part was offered to him. Alec Azadik played their first performance in December 1988 and went on a small tour along the East Coast, mostly playing at colleges. River never wanted his name to promote the band, but crazed teen fans still showed up anyway. In New York, they played a Rock Against Fur concert for PETA, which River had become a model spokesman for. Decades later, his sister Rain said that River was somebody that was always concerned for those who couldn't speak for themselves or were afraid to. That was definitely the kind of person he was, just incredibly compassionate and empathetic and generous. She also said, He felt so strongly about speaking up, using his voice to activate his activism, and using his fame to share things. He was really disturbed by the environmental devastation of his time, clear-cutting the rainforest for cattle and factory farming. He visited Brazil and met with tribes. He and a friend bought up land and created a rainforest preserve in Costa Rica. Shortly after the 1989 Academy Awards, Martha broke up with River because of his growing drug habit. She said, he had to change himself and he didn't want to yet. Even after they separated, the two still remained close and River would often call Martha on the phone just to talk. River started filming I Love You to Death in 1989 in Tacoma, Washington. The film is based on a true story about a woman who tries to kill her cheating husband multiple times, but he just doesn't seem to die. River was part of a large cast and became close friends with co-star Keanu Reeves. The two had met before when River visited Leif and Martha Plimpton on the set of the film Parenthood, which Keanu was also in. River continued his method acting approach to his role, saying, I start off by stripping myself of who I am, by thinking more neutral. I become non-opinionated, refusing to think from River's perspective. And then slowly, I add characteristics and start thinking the way the character would. I don't understand why you're trying to blame it on Rosalind. Maybe I did it. Maybe I'm glad I did it. Are you saying you did it? No, he's not saying that. What's he saying? He's not saying anything. I know how to fire a gun. My brother was in the National Guard. So what are you saying? He's saying that his brother is a patriotic American. When filming, River would act like his character Offset as well, which could prove to be very disastrous to his mental and physical health. Co-star Miriam Margoyle said, He is serious and thoughtful about his work. At the moment, he has no way of distancing himself from a part. River returned to Florida and started working on getting gigs for Alka's Attic again. He wanted to focus on his music and turned down several big movie offers. He started dating musician Suzanne Solgott, who was five years older than him. River moved out of the family ranch and started renting an apartment in Gainesville. Since he had no work, he spent a lot of time wandering around at night and hanging out in bars. River's father, John, moved out of the United States to Costa Rica. River bought him some property where he ran a bed and breakfast. He also bought his grandparents a house in Florida. 
His next film was Dogfight, an independent picture directed by Nancy Savoca, whom River had chosen specifically for the job. She wanted the actors to feel like real soldiers, so she sent them to training camp for five days. River was an easy target because of his name and vegan diet. River got into the role very intensely, and during filming was the first time he tried heroin. He also started experimenting more sexually. It took him a while to get out of the skin of his character and become River again. Svoga said, he was working on a very instinctive level. Stuff was coming real deep from inside him. That was the part that was scary. It's great. It's one of my favorite songs. Actually, it reminds me a lot of, of, of Jim Swain's music. Don't you think so? I don't know him. Oh, wow, Jim Swain? Oh. Well, he's just... Well, you've heard of Dylan, right, Bob Dylan? Yeah. Well, Jim Swain is a major influence on Dylan's music, a major influence. I thought Woody Guthrie was Dylan's influence. Well, yeah, there's Woody, and then there's Jim Swain. In fact, I think that Jim Swain and Woody co-wrote some songs together, if I'm not mistaken. I thought Woody wrote pretty much on his own. Sometimes, he did. Keanu Reeves received treatment for an indie film about hustlers called My Own Private Idaho and rode his motorcycle all the way down to Gainesville to deliver it to River. Both were incredibly interested in the film, but Iris Burton and River's mother had misgivings. River took the part, much to Burton's chagrin, because he wanted to try something new and completely shed his teen idol image. River, Keanu, and co-star Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers started staying at Gus Van Sant's house during the filming of My Own Private Idaho and caused such a ruckus that Van Sant had to move out. River started taking his role very seriously, meeting hustlers and studying their behaviors and mannerisms. He said their time researching the hustlers was all in character. We were just hanging. If anything, they thought, this is another cat who's trying to take my spot on the street. There was maybe little curiosity, but never any animosity or jealousy. Because it's a brotherhood on the street, man. You all watch for each other's backs. The famous campfire scene, in which River's character expresses his love for Keanu's character, was written entirely by Phoenix. Van Sant said that his character was not originally intended to be gay, but that River had expanded on the role himself. River said the scene was his own stream of consciousness, and this just happened to be one that was more than actor notes. Then Keanu and I refined it, worked on it, but it was all done quickly. It was something I wrote down a night, two nights before, and then I showed up to Keanu and Gus, and Gus kept the whole thing. I only have sex with a guy for money. Yeah, I know. And two guys can't love each other. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, for me, I could love someone even if I, you know, wasn't paid for it. I love you and I really want to kiss you, man. Good night, man. During filming, River began taking a lot of drugs. Word got back to Iris Burton, who was incredibly upset. River was fine before he did Gus Van Sant's fucking movie. I blame him for all of this. Yeah, there's a quality to um, Chet Baker's great performances that I really thought a lot about, which is that Sometimes you watch him and you're not sure he's going to live through the song. 
And I remember I've, I felt that way um, watching my own private Idaho. I remember watching River and thinking, I just, I worried for him. I don't, there was, there was such a brilliant light, but it was, it seemed so delicate. Everyone who knew River has a different story of his substance abuse, but he was most likely a binge user, someone who took copious amounts of drugs for a short while before going cold turkey and repeating the cycle. After filming My Own Private Idaho, he became close with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and would spend time playing music and taking drugs with them. At this point, he was spending more and more time with people who were not a good influence on him. One of River's co-stars on Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Jimmy Reardon said that he was hanging around with people who didn't really care about him, that couldn't have given a shit about who he was as far as a human being goes. They were shallow as a two-foot pool. In 1990, Alec Azadic went on a 10-week tour during which River met R.E.M. singer Michael Stipe. The two became fast friends and were like brothers to each other. After River's death, Stipe wrote a few songs about him, including Electrolyte, Night Swimming, and Ebo the Letter. In an article she wrote when interviewing Alica's Attic, journalist Christine Kelly said, I was stunned at how different River's once shiny, silky blonde hair looked. It was short, a dirty color, and kind of brittle. I don't know if the Riv was trying to dread or what, now that he is 21 and has left his teenage years behind him. Recorded interviews from around this time show that River had become much different, almost callous, his mannerisms shifty, and much less approachable than just a couple years before. River and Suzanne were now living together in a rented home in Florida, where they had two canaries in a rather messy household. Reportedly, the two hardly ever bathed or kept track of their personal hygiene. Tim Hankins quit Alakazadik, unhappy with the person that River had become. After my own private Idaho, River wanted to do something more lighthearted, opting for the heist comedy, Sneakers. He was working again with Poitier and became close with co-star Dan Aykroyd. I'd like to have a deep relationship with a beautiful woman who melts from the very first time her eyes meet. I'm not getting paid that much, Carl. Well, you know, someone like Liz. During filming, Alica's Attic recorded some tracks, but unfortunately weren't picked up by Island Records. Kim Bowie thought that it might have been better for River to become a solo artist rather than a band, as his acting career was usually getting in the way. She said, I think he just wasn't at a place where he could do it full-time and figure out what River Phoenix, the musician, the songwriter, the artist, wanted to be. River stayed with Flea during the filming of Sneakers, where he got easy access to heroin. Aykroyd, who had lost his friend John Belushi to a drug overdose a few years earlier, had warned River to stay away from substances. Publicist Jimmy Dobson said that Aykroyd was a very good influence on his life. Rivers started filming Silent Tongue in Roswell, New Mexico after shooting for Sneakers Wrapped. He became close friends with co-star Dermot Mulroney, who was also an accomplished musician, and they jammed together often. Mulroney explained that he had to tell River who Sam Shepard, the director of the film, was. He had no concept of Sam as a playwright or a screenwriter or a director. I had to explain to him what a Pulitzer Prize was and what Sam won it for and why. He was undereducated and overintelligent. River also became close with co-star Richard Harris, whom he drove to set every day. Harris said, He looked upon me as a kind of father figure. He'd knock on my door and ask if he could come in and sleep. He'd sleep on the couch. I could hear him rehearsing his lines at four in the morning. Interestingly enough, Harris played River's father in Silent Tongue and later played Joaquin's father in Gladiator. River's drug habits were becoming more of a problem and he and Suzanne ended things. She said, he didn't want me nagging him, pointing out the contradictions between his public standards and what he was doing to his body. Rivers' public and personal lives were very different from each other, and he often felt guilty about what his fans would think about him if they knew what he was doing. 
He was growing tired and angry with the movie business and the pressures that were being put upon him. River got to write songs for his next film, The Thing Called Love. River recommended his friend Dermot Mulroney to play a part in the film and started dating lead actress Samantha Mathis. He helped teach her how to play guitar and sing for her performance. River was having a hard time working on the film. He seemed really out of it. Director Peter Bogdanovich often quoted method acting extraordinaire Stella Adler, To play dead, darling, you don't have to die. Iris Burton flew out to Nashville to keep River under control, as nobody else, not even his mother, now renamed Hart, was willing to. Film critic Roger Ebert wrote in his review of the movie that the world was shocked when River Phoenix overdosed, but the people working on this film should not have been. This performance should have been seen by someone as a cry for help. Seems as though you've made a checkout for selfish, arrogant dickhead. They'll cash it. They know it's you. They do? What is a dickhead exactly? You. If I'm a dickhead and you're married to a dickhead, what does that make you? An idiot. I think we'd be the perfect match. River was getting even more into drugs, and one night, after a huge binge, crashed at his friend Bobby Bukowski's house. Bukowski remembered telling him, I'd rather you just point a gun at your head and pull the trigger. I want to see you become an old man so we can be old friends together. River broke down in tears and promised to never do drugs again. In the early 90s, River was continuously offered movie roles, but kept turning them down. He hated Hollywood and was embittered by the business. He agreed to do one more film, Dark Blood, to help pay for his sister Liberty's college tuition before deciding to go into music full-time. He was also still very into his activism, performing at multiple benefit concerts and speaking at rallies. In 1992, he won PETA's Humanitarian Award for his fundraising efforts. He said at one point, If I have some celebrity, I hope I can use it to make a difference. The true social reward is that I can speak my mind and share my thoughts about the environment and civilization itself. There's so much shit happening with people who are exploiting their positions and creating a lot of negativity. Tim Hankins and Josh McKay had left Alaka's attic, but River recruited bassist Sasa Raphael to join, and the group recorded over 90 tracks. River loved to write songs, but had little interest in polishing them up or developing past their original idea. John Phoenix convinced River to move in with him in Costa Rica after filming Dark Blood. He wanted his son to get as far away from Hollywood as possible. River agreed, saying, I'll see you after this movie, Dad. John said, well, he did, only he was in a box. River started working on Dark Blood in Utah in 1993 and detoxed completely for the role. He ate nothing but artichokes and corn, wanting to appear as though he were living in the desert solely on bugs. River and director George Slizer would go on hikes in the mountains and spend all day in the fresh air. Unfortunately, he did not get along well with co-star Judy Davis, who nicknamed him Frat Boy. Slizer said, She made my life very tough, and I have never had to deal with a person making it so difficult. Davis was unhappy with the script, her character, and having to work with River, who often had to be the mediator between her and Slizer. After shooting wrapped, River stayed at the Hotel Nigo in Los Angeles, and Rain, Joaquin, and Samantha came to join him on the night of October 30th. They ordered room service and danced around to loud music. Rain and Joaquin wanted to go to the Viper Room and listen to Johnny Depp's band, P, play. Since they were underage, they needed an adult escort. Samantha offered to take them and leave River behind so he could rest, but at the last minute, he grabbed his guitar and joined them. There's a lot of speculation about what exactly caused River's death, but one thing is for certain. What happened to him that night does not define who he was. 
I don't want to dwell on the events of October 31st, 1993, but I would like to clear up a couple rumors. River did not snort nor inject the drugs that killed him. He was given a cup by a trusted friend with the dissolved speedball of eight times the lethal dosage of heroin and cocaine. He was murdered. River's autopsy also showed that River had been clean otherwise. The only drugs found in his system were the ones that he overdosed on. Most likely, he died because he did not have the tolerance built up that he may have had previously. Not long after his death, Martha Plimpton said that River had become a metaphor for a fallen angel, a messiah. He was just a boy, a good-hearted boy, who was very fucked up and had no idea how to implement his good intentions. I don't want to be comforted by his death. I think it's right that I'm angry about it, angry at the people who helped them stay sick, and angry at River. Since most of Dark Blood was already completed by the time of River's death, director George Slyzer worked to get it released. He acquired the footage that was about to be destroyed in 1999 and worked to piece it all together. The film was finally released in 2012, even after the Phoenix family tried to stop it from being made. Hart remarried, and she and her husband founded the River Phoenix Center for Peacebuilding. Rain has released several Alka's Addicts tracks out into the world and continues to speak and carry on her brother's legacy through her music. Joaquin named his son with Rooney Mar after his brother and recently said that, in virtually every movie that I made, there is a connection to River in some way. In fact, River was the one who encouraged him to become a serious actor and said that Joaquin would be more famous than he ever would be. In hindsight, that's a sad statement, but it's sweet that River was so supportive of his brother's career. River Phoenix was a rather contradictory person. He enjoyed toying with the press and kept the different sections of his life separate from each other. One thing is for sure, he was a talented actor who had a lot of inner demons and never got the help that he needed. It's sad to think about what could have been, but at least we have the rather impressive resume and achievements that River left behind. Lars Beckman, a pseudonym for someone who worked with River on Dogfight, wrote a wonderful essay about River. I'll link it in the description. He wrote, River's story is not just a cautionary tale of the trappings and hedonistic excess of Hollywood and stardom. The story is about abandoning who you are in search of someone you are not, with peer pressure and the insanity of wanting to belong or maybe the gut-wrenching insanity of feeling the need to numb the senses once your innocence has been shattered and idealism has taken the far back seat to cynicism. In his last interview, when asked about what he enjoyed about being an actor, River said, My ultimate goal is to try to give, in a competent way, a voice to characters who haven't had the chance to talk yet, those who never expressed themselves so far, even if I've not always been able to do so. For me, the ideal recompense what really fulfills me is to create something new, not only to be original at any cost or to be the first one to do it, but because these blanks need to be filled. Besides, I could play the same character again and again in a different way each time, as many times as I have atoms in my body. The more I hurt, less I feel. Should I say more or less to get real? The more I hurt, the less I deal. Here are some roles that River could have or almost played. Dead Poets Society. 
River campaigned for the part of Neil Perry, which ended up going to Robert Sean Leonard. He wanted the role so badly that he even wrote a song about the character. A river runs through it. River auditioned for the part of Paul McLean, but was not the type of actor that director Robert Redford was looking for. They later worked together on sneakers. Interview with the Vampire River was slated to play the part of the interviewer, but it ended up going to Christian Slater. Slater donated his entire profit off the film to two of River's favorite charities, and the film was dedicated to his memory. A Kiss Before Dying River was offered the part of the lead in the film remake, but turned it down. It went to Matt Dillon instead. The Crying Game A project River was set to do with Winona Ryder, but funding fell through and it has never been made. Untitled Andy Warhol Movie Gus Van Sant and River were planning on doing a biopic about Andy Warhol, and River even bleached his hair blonde. But Van Sant said, the project never really went forward. The Basketball Diaries River was a big fan of the novel and wanted to appear in the film version, which eventually went to Leonardo DiCaprio. The Man in the Iron Mask William Richard wanted to do this movie with River, though it was dropped after his death, and once again, DiCaprio replaced him. Total Eclipse River and John Malkovich were signed on to do this film about poet Arthur Rimbaud and his relationship with mentor Paul Verlaine, but Malkovich dropped out after River died. The roles ended up going to DiCaprio and David Thewlis. River was so obsessed about getting this part that he started carrying around a biography about Rimbaud and trying to find connections between the poet and his own life. By way of Fontana, River had plans to direct this film about his father's experiences growing up with Joaquin playing John Phoenix. Reality Bites. River had been given this screenplay and wanted to do it with Samantha Mathis, but decided against it after rereading the script a second time. Safe Passage. Iris Burton wanted River to play the part of Susan Sarandon's son in the film, which also would have several parts for the other Phoenix siblings to try out for. The part ended up going to Sean Astin. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a lot about one of my favorite people ever. I love River so much. This episode was researched, written, edited, and hosted by me, Audrey Cornell. The music was written by Nia D'Amelio. Gone But Not Forgotten is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com. Join me next week where Louise Coleman and I will be talking about our favorite River Phoenix films, um, some opinions we have about his personal life, and much more. See you next week.